Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we will continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter as he likes to be called, Mm -hmm. is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. And boy, we're in real life. We're in real life these days. We We sure sure are. are. uh, I was thinking that the other thing we're we're so committed to is helping people recover from trauma and to to become the best people they can be through it all. And it seems to come through struggles. It seems to come through suffering and difficulty. Not, And it's not something that everybody wants to embrace or even look at. Well, it's not fun. It's not painless. Mm-mm. It's not easy, simple, fast. Mm-mm. But as you said, it is the way that we grow and become the people that we would really like to be. That's right, or we're meant to be. And, you know, I, uh, I remember how we started this series of talking about adversity and talking about strengthening through adversity and that there were certain things that are basic to that. And one of them is not to run away from difficulties and struggles, even though there's a part of us, all of us, that would love to run away. Yeah. That would love to bury our head in the sand and avoid all the difficulties. Who wouldn't? And yet it's those folks, and I hope there'll be more after our series or doing our series, are the ones that don't run. And instead of running away, they embrace it. They come to face it in as difficult it is, as it is, and they gain a certain strength and a certain depth of, of character and uh, integrity and decency that can only come through facing the struggles of life. Um, we use the term um, resilience, uh, but not just ordinary resilience. We were talking about transformative. Transformative resilience, resilience a, a term that was coined by... The Marstons. Oh, thank you. Whew. Yes. And uh, I think they were really right. They, I loved a lot of what they've done. But we are talking about transformative resilience. And the, the, the basics of that, I think when people think about resilience many times, they think about, well, they can fall back on... Bouncing back. Bouncing kind back. Kind of the typical Bouncing back or falling back onto things they were familiar and they knew how to do. Bouncing back from that. Trying to get back to normal before whatever happened. And guess what? That's not transformative resilience. We're talking about a resilience that won't come from just bouncing back. In fact, it comes from, many times it comes from overcoming and working through your physical and emotional pain, things that you'd like to embrace, and not let them stop you, but actually work it through and embrace what comes out of it, not run from it. Because there's some value. There's value. Uh, It's not an easy road, and yet it's a very important part of life. It's a condition of life. We're not talking about anything that's foreign to life. We're talking about a condition of life that none of us like to admit or want to face understandably, but it's real. And we're here to help people face it. We're here to give people hope and encouragement, Um, no matter how heavy the burdens are. Um, And that includes ourselves. 
in this. We're doing this from not just 49, almost 50 years of experience as a psychologist, psychotherapist, and now as a mentor and coach and a consultant. It's not just that. It's coming from the heart. And um, one of the things that I've realized through being a caregiver um, is my own humanity, my own frailty, seeing myself in ways, well, sometimes that weren't so pleasant. It wasn't what I was after. I certainly wasn't into treating people like they were just clinical cases, but I saw that's what came out of my work of all those years. That was not what I was after. Well, I can assure you that that's not where I live anymore. And uh, you talked about earlier, Peter likes to, Dr. Bernstein likes to call Peter for good reason. Mm -hmm. It's because I'm, I like to relate human to human, caring, understanding the vulnerabilities and the frailties of people just like me. And um, I love it. I, it may be a little bit more painful and less protected, but it's a state of life I love. I'd rather be in any day. And I can relate to so many people and so many can relate to me in such loving and supportive ways. You told me, I'll just, this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but I know yesterday you were down in the garage uh, rearranging things. <laughs> and part of what you came up afterwards and said was how many people in the neighborhood stopped by to talk. Amazing. And how amazing. good that felt to you. They were so giving. And they weren't just from the neighborhood. It was people I knew. All of a sudden they were at the driveway and they were talking to me so kindly and I think many of them have a great deal of empathy for what's going on with my wife Lynn and she is fading my heart is heavy today so if I sound a little heavy it's because I am and I am sad very sad um, to watch what's happening and yet it's part of her life journey um, we've we've been doing everything we can for her and to we'll make continue. her to give her the support and the love and the care and the security that we could possibly give. And the process is happening anyway. So I just went back to see her just before the broadcast here, and I'm sad for what I see. I can't lie, but out of that is coming something that other people uh, that uh, really appreciate what we're doing are saying. What you're doing is Lynn's legacy. Lynn's legacy is so much, so much behind everything you're doing now. And, and that's not a change. She has been your most fervent supporter all the way through your career. Absolutely. She was behind everything you did. She wanted to be involved. She wanted to know what you were working on. She wanted to be a part of it. And she was. And now she can't be anymore. But I know that meant a lot to her. But this legacy comes from what she's going through and what we're going through with her. So this is something special, and it's going to touch so many people. And the idea is out of Lynn's legacy and her struggle for life, which is coming to an end, we are going to be able to help an awful lot of people going through this. Um, we already are. We already are, yes. And um, it's only because of what we're learning, how we're growing, what we're learning about ourselves, what we're learning about, about the process that uh, uh, care receivers go through and what happens to caregivers, whether it's loved ones in the family or whether it's those semi-professionals. I don't want to call them professionals yet I'm going because we're getting ready. We are getting caregivers ready to become real professionals. And the component that we're adding is self-care. 
how to take care of themselves, how to improve themselves, how to grow, how to be resilient. These are the folks that have not been running away from this difficult journey. These are the folks that have embraced it. What we've seen is they've come, many times they come from other cultures. Um, but I'll be honest with you, nurses are caregivers, doctors are caregivers, psychologists, caseworkers. Um, there's plenty of different kinds of caregivers. But if we're looking, about the, looking at the more personal type, that are, they're usually from other cultures, not usually from the United States. Fiji is a big source of it, and so is Haiti and Philippines as well. Well, what makes that different is their their culture, just from the beginnings, incorporate taking care of the elderly and the sick. It's a value in the culture, yes. Absolutely. To, to connect their generations and keep them close. And they do. One thing we have learned, though, that they don't teach is for how to how caregivers need to learn to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. We have seen that to be a gaping hole, and it's a, a huge detriment because they may start off with really wonderful intentions, good cultural encouragement and, and um, shaping from in their own lives. But when it comes to hanging through, it's very tough on them, like it would be on anybody. The old attitudes of... I can tough it out, I'm strong. Well, I'll tell you how far that goes. Speaking as one of them, not too far. After a while, that doesn't hold anymore. Uh, there's another approach that will work. That one is finite. In other words, it's, <laughs> it's got a beginning and an end. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen some wonderful people that have that attitude. We've seen what happens. They burn out. They become grief-stricken. Uh, they're exhausted. They forget about taking care of themselves or their own families and loved ones. They have health. They can develop health issues. And they can develop health issues. We were just told a couple of uh, caregivers in their 50s have just died recently from heart attacks on the job. We know that the statistics are very high, as far as I'm concerned, for caregivers of loved ones uh, passing before the care receivers. And I think that it's almost 65%, 64%. Very high. So as far as we're concerned, we're talking about serious business here. Our job is to teach people how to take care of themselves. Not um, only how to, but to know how important it is. And to, You're right. Put that before anything. That's got to start there. Yeah. That awareness and that change in consciousness is crucial. you got to kind of come to grips with knowing that this is a change of where you think. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sneeze, I think. I'm ready. No, no. Is it happening? Hang on for a minute. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm all right. But anyway, um, <laughs> sorry. Okay, got to that. Anyway, where'd that come from? But anyway, we want to talk about that an awful lot. Um, we feel that caregivers are invested in a part of life that a lot of us would rather run from, deny, pretend that it doesn't exist. These folks are, they got their feet planted in that very difficult part of life. It's the journey of dealing with sickness and, and dying and death and taking care of those that are in need. Um, it's a part of life that we all have to face and we all will, but how many of us do is another story. Well, these are two, these are people that don't run from it. They're invested in it. Um, by, and that's by choice. Mm -hmm. That is by a selection choice. Um, and 
So they're the kind of folks that have not run from adversity. And these are the folks we want to encourage and help and support. Family members, absolutely, um, who are taking care of loved ones, absolutely. So we have developed programs and ways um, for these folks to learn how to take care of themselves and what to pay attention to. These broadcasts are almost like a, a teaching seminar on what to pay attention to and, uh, and how to learn to take care of yourself and become resilient. But first of all, to become aware. Yes, the warning signs. The warning signs. The warning signs that your self-care may not be where it needs to be. Well, usually when you're taking care of someone who's ill or dying, one of the things that happens is it's, it, you've got to be involved in a very nourishing, nurturing relationship. That's bottom line. But you're also, the people that do this kind of work are what they call empaths. They're compassionate, empathetic folks. They tend to be selfless, truthfully. Um, but in that process of being in that relationship with someone you learn to care about and take care of, um, there is an exchange of energy. There is an exchange emotionally that goes on. Now, for the caregiver, they're the ones that are doing the selfless work. They're the ones that are giving totally of themselves. And um, they've got to understand, number one, that this relationship has an energy to it, and they are pouring out energy to take care of the care receiver. That is a big job right there. That's a big job. And um, it's a selflessness, too. Amazing. It's a very, it's a loving thing. To, it's a very loving relationship to a point. Um, and I say that for a reason, because not everybody can sustain that. We've seen too many caregivers fall away um, and accumulate so much toxic, what we call toxic overload, emotional energy. They begin to get resentful. They begin to get uh, compassion fatigue. They get tired out. Um, they begin to accumulate pain, it, the pain of the care, person they're taking care of. And then what happens is their own histories of trauma, of scars and wounds, of difficulties that they weren't even aware of anymore begin to come to the surface. We call that triggering. And it happens to everyone. There's no question about that. But how to deal with it is another, how to even recognize it. That's what we've been talking about for a couple of episodes now, and we're going to continue today. Uh, but first, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson, and we are getting underway in this episode uh, on caregiving, the emotional energy it takes to be a caring, empathetic caregiver, um, how we take on as caregivers some of the uh, burdens and trauma of the people we care for, mm -hmm. that that can accumulate in us if we're not careful, 
and can lead to stress, distress, uh, a, a, a heavy emotional feeling. We get tired. Um, and then we are, because of our own histories, um, more likely to get triggered by things that are happening. And let's again say what triggering okay. is. Okay. Triggering actually uh, is there's a, an event or things that are going on in the present that may be very difficult or similar to things we've gone through in the past. And particularly as caregivers, you got to know that you come to a point where it, just the work itself will strip you down to your own humanity and your own vulnerability. You can't help it. But in the process, it begins to expose things that we may have hid away from even our own awareness years ago that had to do with our own traumas, our own pain, our own losses, our own our own uh, wounds and scars. What begins to happen is they come to the surface, and so do the reactions from the past. They begin to come up, and they contaminate. We call contaminating the present, and all of a sudden, our reactions in the present aren't really appropriate anymore. And uh, we begin to do things out of our own pain. And, with, and if we're not aware of it, we don't know that it's happening. But that nourishing, nurturing, loving relationship that we're committed to and being a caregiver begins to disintegrate. Why? Because we're, our history, the pain that we have from our own past, begins to come up as well as the reactions to it from the past. Um, and it begins to emotionally and behaviorally affect what's going on in the present. You've used the word contaminate, yeah. that it can contaminate our relationships in ways that we don't really want to see happen. So what that would look like would be somebody, all of a sudden you find yourself overreacting. Um, I'll use an ex example. <laughs> I'm so mad at myself for this, but so be it. Um, we spent a whole weekend taking care of my wife and it was a, we were all exhausted and my wife is not a disagreeable difficult she person. She never was. No, no. with a cerebral dementia. But last night all the caregivers left. I was left with her as I usually am at night and boy all of a sudden she got really difficult and angry and um it caught me by surprise because that's not the way she normally is, but she was intense about it. Usually I know to just step back and uh, not push it. And this was taking a medication and she refused and was biting it, whatever it was. <laughs> but you know what? I was exhausted. Mm -hmm. And I started getting frustrated and angry. That didn't help anything. I began to react rather than respond. And um, it's because I was suffering from emotional exhaustion and uh, fatigue. Mm -hmm. And uh, instead of being able to step back and just see the present situation for what it was, knowing how to deal with that, which I do most of the time, you do. which is something that, you know, sometimes it's not the, worth the battle. You just kind of walk away and come back to it a half an hour later and she doesn't even remember it anyway. And things are easy or easier. Well, when you're reactive, the present-day awarenesses and responses that are appropriate <laughs> don't work anymore. And they're contaminated. Mine was frustration and anger and reaction. Not that I overdid it. Uh, but I had to get a grip of myself. And I had to go. I was getting angry and frustrated. And in the state that she's in, I, I felt terrible. And I did. I said, I'll come back in a half an hour. Um, but I had to regroup. I had to slow myself down, 
I had to rethink the situation and what was going on uh, and figure out a way to deal with it uh, in a more supportive, loving way and not be antagonized by her. When I came back, she wasn't like that at all. And um, I had cooled down and knew to be in the present again, to be very present with her and not let my past frustrations, anger, whatever it was, exhaustion get in the way. And it worked out fine. But I did react first. And it caught me by surprise, because usually I'm really good at this. Well, you said yourself that you were tired. I was tired. I was exhausted. And emotionally drained. Mm-hmm. Very prime time for triggering to happen. Absolutely. And it happens to everybody. What's Why yes. is Peter so special? <laughs> He's not. And it happened to me. I don't like it. None of us like it. And when you're aware of it, like I was, I realized I, I had to leave the room. So leaving the room, we've been talking lately about a skill or an idea or a, or a technique called pushing the pause button. That was part of it. The other was how to resolve how to resolve triggering. So we're going to get into that today, but yeah. it's both. But first, it sounds like when you were walking your way, you're going, wait a minute, I need to just kind of put things on pause and get my perspective back. Exactly. And I had to step back and remove myself from the situation and establish some boundaries again. And I think one of the things that exhausted me over the weekend was my I was so concerned about my wife that I think I had let my boundaries slip away. And I was more concerned almost all the time about taking care of her than myself. Than yourself. That is a warning set sign yes that when you begin to care so much about the person you're taking care of that you forget about taking care of yourself it's classic look out and there was the trouble and i was exhausted mm-hmm. and it was an emotional exhaustion mm-hmm. it was from doing that and sure enough i didn't have the appropriate boundary when i needed it i knew enough from practice and discipline to step away though and to regroup to catch my breath, to calm my emotions. Uh, I knew I didn't have to stay stuck in them, I'm grateful to say. Um, and to just kind of unst- be, get myself unstuck, unfree- unfrozen in that reaction, and just catch my breath, slow my breath, really, literally slowing my breath down, mm-hmm. going in the other room, mm-hmm. rethinking what was going on, and realizing again that... This is part of what Lynn is dealing with. She has no control over it. It's it's a form of dementia. And I am the one that's brain is supposed to be working pretty well most of the time. Yeah. And I had to remember that. And I just want to add that, that what you just described, that process of slowing down, stepping in the mm-hmm. other room, the other things you mentioned, those are keys. And if you, as a listener, weren't writing that down, I want to let you know that we have some homework Uh, that we're going to get to that will go over those steps again. So don't think that's just going to go right on by and not come back. We're coming back to it. That's probably why it came up. You know, I studied this stuff myself, even though we wrote it. You know, this morning we had a staff meeting. I said, this stuff is just so great. Who wrote it? And all of a sudden Jenny raised her hand. I'm realizing other people there. We all wrote it. But it's been a long time, and it's it's coming up in my mind more, and I'm realizing how relevant it really is. Um, so 
Anyway, we're talking about how to, that was how to resolve the triggering. Yeah, you, you pushed the pause button. Pushed the pause button. You went through some things that helped you to kind of regroup and come back into the present Correct. and regain your perspective. Correct. And then you were able to work on resolving. Correct. And so that was one of the things we're going to talk about today is how to do that, how to resolve these things. Um, learning to respond in an assertive way rather than be reactive to a triggering. How to use my own intuitive abilities to look within myself and to make the changes that I need to make and then to come out of myself and take responsible action in the present. Responsible. Did I say responsible? I hope I said it right. Yes. Yeah. I, I thought I was stuttering on that one. But that's one of the key factors. You, gotta, you almost have to um, bridle your own intuitive abilities. And begin to harness harness them, and you got to be able to um, begin to look within yourself. That's very very important. Rather than be reactive, blaming, striking out, this is something different. And as you harness these intuitive abilities, number one is you begin to take a look at yourself, and you begin to learn to work with yourself better. And then when you uh, work it through somehow like I did over what I just described, you come out and take a responsible action in the present that's appropriate. And it, you have to be able to reflect. You've got to be able to look within yourself. Um, it's, it's, it's what I call assertive, and it works most of the time. Um, anyway... Steve is just flashing. Steve is our technician, our producer. Our producer, and, our gopher. And our I, shouldn't guy. I shouldn't look at the whiteboard too much because then I get distracted. Anyway, yeah. he's just flashing something well, about he's uh, giving how us much a helpful time. signal. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but this is very important. Um, I think it was a, it's a good example. Um, by the way, this morning our, our staffs, uh, we went over the work that we we're going to talk about, and they brought it much more down to earth, and they wanted us to do the same. They wanted us to get really concrete about how this looks for people. How does it feel? What happens? How can people recognize it in themselves? And the, that's, a, that's a key, f right, Kelly, who brought mm -hmm. that up, and mm -hmm. she's one of our... She's our practical rubber... And she's very person. smart, but in a very practical, down-to-earth way. And she said, you know, last week, well, Jenny is one that turns inside herself and turns against herself. You're an angry guy. Da, 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 da. She says, what about other emotions? And she's right. What about, yeah, what about sorrow and, gr and grief and loss? Or what about uh, dissociating? What about um, someone what? else on our staff mentioned? What about people who perform and get phony? You know? Yeah. What about all these things? Yeah, and those are all kind of reactions. Those are not, that's not responsive. That's reactions. Um, she was, we were all talking, and there was one, somebody brought up something that I've seen a lot of caregivers do forgive me, especially nurses that become caregivers for their loved ones, is they have a thing called OCD. What is that? I'm, I'm not going to even get into that it's clinically. It's not clinical the way we're using no, it today. No, but it means they want to do everything precisely and perfectly, and they expect that of themselves at all times, and they want the control. The control is meant to help others. It's not meant to hurt anybody. But when we're dealing with situations that we're talking about, it doesn't work very well. Because our situations in helping others becomes very fluid, and we have to be fluid. We have to be flexible. We can't put a lot of expectations and rigidity on ourselves 
because it won't work and we'll get hyper-efficient and demanding and expectant of others. Uh, I've seen more uh, family caregivers who are like that drive off when they bring caregivers in to help them. They drive them off because they demand and expect so much. And uh, I remember a nurse that I know who I really like, and she's a caring woman, and she got very tired. She finally had to bring a caregiver in, and she said, well, I had to let her go, the caregiver, because uh, I know the way it's supposed to be, and that's the way, and I know what my husband wants, and this is the way it's meant to be, and she just couldn't seem to follow the protocols. And when she was saying it, to be honest with you, we have a list of caregivers for people that we draw upon. I held my breath and my tongue because there's no way I was going to put my uh, unsweep caregiver in that kind of situation because it turns out to be it turns out to be abusive. Yeah. yeah. And harsh. No way to win in that situation. No, no way to provide the care that's, that's right. needed. That's right. And that's right. that's one type of reaction that doesn't work well. Um, and it probably what is that really? That's the reaction to feeling powerless. And boy, if there's a core that we all share in doing this work, it's you're going to feel powerless. There's just a point you can't do anything anymore, no matter how you try. And it strips us, to, and it's a terrible state to feel. And yet it's very much a part of the situation. It is a part of caregiving. Yeah. So painful, but a real part of it. Yes. yes. And some of the reactions to it are what the problem is. Yeah. Yeah. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. We just finished talking about uh, pushing the pause button after triggering, giving yourself the chance to step back, slow down, regain your perspective when you've been triggered, and uh, look inward to uh, take a considered uh, res- uh, temperature of yourself and then to act responsibly outward in the situation in a way that fits. We also were talking about um, patterns that people go through when they've been triggered and they feel powerless feel powerless, or they react rather than respond. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to continue this because we're only just starting to touch the surface okay. on some of this. It's very, very... Um, unfamiliar to probably most of the people listening today, and yet it is essential. It is. One of the things you said, and I didn't bring it up, but we're going to bring it up now, and that is how do we harness our intuition and need our, and use our strength? Well, one of the things that I see, we're talking about harnessing it in a positive way, a way that gives us so, as a time of self-reflection and evaluating ourselves. Here's what I see a lot of people do. They use it to judge themselves, to condemn themselves, and beat themselves up. That is, that's another form of reaction. That is not harnessing our intuition in an assertive, positive way. The other part of it is, got to use. We also got to use our own strength, the strength we have, because we're going to need that strength to, as we come out of this reflective state, to put, put together, into put into action, responsible 
responses, responses, yeah, responses to the situation as is called for. Something that's fitting, something that is going to be caring for mm -hmm. uh, the people that you care for and for yourself, something that's constructive, something that will um, bring a better situation about. Okay. Now, Kelly mentioned something today, too, and it was a process of flexibility, that it's just not one way or the other. When you're dealing with someone who's very ill and their situation is difficult and deteriorating we have to be creative and how to navigate be flexible and be flexible and so we're talking about a process that goes from introspection to the strength of taking responsible action and it's a, a back and forth type of uh, process it's not once and for all and you got it but you need to have flexibility in uh, moving in a into intuitive reflection and taking responsible action. So it's not a one-shot deal. It's moving as the situations call for and as we are faced with them, we've got to find the, the ways to deal with it um, that create that, that support a nurturing, loving, caring relationship for folks that are really suffering and struggling. Yeah. I think one, one aspect of that that can be so difficult is uh, the feeling that of loss. Um, when situations in caregiving change, it's often that the person you're caring for is, is not doing as well. Maybe they are deteriorating. Yes. And so when you need to be flexible and creative and make some changes, it might be in response to watching someone you love deteriorating. Mm -hmm. And definitely. we've talked about, I know you've talked about this in the past, about the, the ne necessity to accept and adjust. That's, that's oh boy, that's a tough one. And that's not a one-time deal either. Um, but it's very important to reach that certain point where there is no more denial. We're not going to bury our head in the sand. And we that's are, another reaction, that's like we talked a, about, to yeah. be in denial, to bury our head in the sand. That's not a response, a positive, assertive response. That's a, a, reaction. a negative reaction. What happens with that, though, um, uh you lost me. I I'm got sorry. lost in what you just said. Oh, you were saying that um, when we must accept and adjust. That's a, right. Okay, so that's something that I've come up with when I realized how many people just don't quite um, make the adjustments because they haven't done one thing during these situations. They haven't accepted the reality of it. They're still hoping that something's going to turn around. Something's going to go better. They're going to get the control back. And, and many times they, we don't. Um, so they don't want to accept the reality that they're facing. Okay, that's a difficult thing. It's essential that we do. Because after that, we can make the adjustments in our uh, expectations of ourselves and others that's more realistic and flexible um, and still face reality. Um, as heartbreaking and as heart-wrenching as it is. So it's very important. Um, but I was thinking of something else. You know, we're giving you a formula for a way that you're going to wind up feeling proud of yourself and good of yourself with no regrets. Because we're telling you something that's going to, you're going to get through it. It's going to be tough. It's going to sometimes, excuse my expression, but tear your heart out with pain. And you're going to have your emotional moments. You should. You need to. But in the end, it's the people that 
embrace the challenges, not run away and bury their head in the sand in these various ways we've been talking about today, that will come out of it with no regrets and can feel very good about themselves and what they did. It's the folks that run away. It's the folks that pretend, um, who don't want to have any part of it, um, that are going to have to live with an awful lot of painful regret. Now, we've helped a lot of folks that have had to live with that. It never truly goes away. We can help diffuse the more intense agony that they're in about it through making those choices. But the truth of the matter is, what we're telling you today is the way to avoid that kind of burden. Yes, you're going to feel it as you go through it. You have to. You're human. And in fact, you need to feel what's going on mm -hmm. uh, because you got to know how those feelings and those experiences are affecting you. Um, but this is going to the kind of thing where you're not going to have regrets. You're going to feel very proud of yourself for what you've done. That's what we want to put out. You're going to become the best person you're meant to be. Um, going back... Uh, <laughs> How much time do we have? Because I want to talk about something else. How much time do we have? We are in our third section of the yeah. episode today, so we've got more time before our last break. What is our timing? Yeah. See, this is good for me, too. It gives me a time to reflect, not react. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What would you like to cover? What well, is it I want to cover something that uh, we call a... Uh, we developed this. I don't know if you remember this for the... Uh, combat crisis treatment is many years ago but it was called a worksheet for resolving emotional triggering you know i i thought this would be this would be our homework oh, we got time yeah this is kind of remember when i said earlier that when you had talked about um slowing down stepping out of the room gathering mm, yourself right. and regaining your perspective right. this i this exercise that we put together uh was a real concrete uh set of steps that that was similar to what you had talked about doing and very practical and it I thought it also responded to something Kelly said was which was I need more information about how to push the pause button and what to do after I did that and I so I think we have time to go over that um, when we talked about pushing the pause button on the last episode um, that's a very important thing to learn to do and what, is it, what does it mean? It, it means backing off the situation, uh, reestablishing the boundaries in a healthy way, uh, realizing through f your feeling state, your intuitive state, that you've lost that boundary. Mm -hmm. um, and it means becoming a little less accessible for a little bit and preventing yourself and your own emotional histories and reactions to, from your own histories to contaminate the current situation. And these situations have to be protected to be kept loving and nurturing and nourishing. So um, that it, it's not a state where you're going to be completely invulnerable. That's not what we're talking about. That's pushing the off button. That's off. And off means you don't feel any, you cut off. You're totally cut off. Now, there's an appropriate time to do that, and then there's, the times when people do it because they're overloaded, overwhelmed, and all of a sudden, their defenses, they just disconnect. Or they're truly in danger. Or, no, that's when it's good. Yeah, that's when it's good. You're in right. other words, right. if you push the off button in a situation where it's appropriate, it's when there truly is a dangerous situation. Right. You're supposed to push the off button. Um, that's self-protection. But if you push that off button com completely in a nurturing situation, that's telling you something's off, and it's usually yourself. Yeah. 
um, we're not talking about pushing the, paw, uh, the off button. There's also another one called pushing the on button. And the on button is where you're completely open and vulnerable. It's the kind of place that we have to be in our lives in our intimate loving relationships. That's what we're supposed to be. Open, on, receptive. Now, if you do that in your work relationships, there will be no boundaries. You will burn out and you will be in trouble. Mm -hmm. So you can't be completely wide open all the time. That's a very unhealthy thing to do in certain situations. So the pause button is kind of an in-between of those where you're not completely invulnerable and inaccessible, but you're not wide open vulnerable either. Even though you push the pause button temporarily um, to protect the relationship that you're in, you're still going to feel you're still going to have an empathetic connection. It's just that you're going to have a boundary and you're going to be clearer about it. And you're going to know the difference between your material that's been possibly triggered and the material that the person you're caring for is going through. Yeah. So it's knowing the difference. It's recognizing it. Now, you can say, well, that's that's all. that sounds pretty good. What happens if... Um, we forget to push the pause button and we are triggered. What do we do then? Well, I'll tell you what you do. Once you realize that, re-push the pause button immediately. <laughs> yes. Okay? And that's the... You, it's, it's something <laughs> I've done many, many times and it works. But here's the key. Here's an interesting thing about that. Later on, you have to unpush that button and all the material that's been stimulated, it didn't just, it doesn't disappear. It accumulates. And you have to have ways of dealing with that personally. You've got to have ways if you're emotionally overwhelmed and you're feeling a lot of pain, either from your past or from a current situation you're in. Well, you need to have a time to cry. You need to have a time to get rid of that emotional charge, the energy that goes with it. Um, if you've been triggered and you're angry and you maybe you didn't react inappropriately, but that stuff is going on inside that of you. charge is still there. You need to get rid of it appropriately and yeah. discharge it, just mm -hmm. like a good cry. Mm -hmm. And you've got to have a safe place to do it. It's a good time to get some help. We do it at our institute all the time, helping people recovering from their own traumas and the traumas of their work. Um, and it's what they call cathartic. And it's there's a lot to it, but bottom line is it really helps to get that stuff out of your system so things go back to a kind of semi-normal state again. And you're not all charged up emotionally or energetically or physically, and things begin to calm down within yourself. Your perspective begins to come back. Hope begins to come back. Mm -hmm. And you're able to go back to your work in a more restored way. Um, there's other things at work. Going to the gym, going to some physical activities that you like, being with your family and loved ones, doing some things that you enjoy. Getting good rest is very important. Uh, for me, it's riding horses. I have a couple of cutting horses. Um, I think I've told you what that is. It's a rodeo-like sport that I've been into for a long time. And I also go to the gym. I've been going to the, and I've been going to the gym for since I've been 13, and I'm a little older than 13. So it's been a long time. Those things help. I also can have time for what I call taking some time where I will, if I'm upset, certainly recognize what's going on. And if, it, if I need to cry, if I need to get that anger out, I have a safe 
place to do it where no one gets hurt, um, including myself, but it's a place where I can let go. And it really helps. And we encourage other people to do that, too. You know yourself well, and you developed these ways of dealing with yourself and the emotions that come up over the years in very effective ways, yes. Yeah, and a lot of body work types of work um, yeah. that to help if your body's holding tight and rigid and, and in pain, absolutely. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And Peter, in our last segment, I know we want to go over um, uh, kind of a, an exercise that we put together for uh, what happens, what can we do, what can someone do when they have been triggered and they uh, are going to push that pause button and act in a more positive way. Right, and we have steps that I, you know, I remember this now, and it really is... A kind of a homework assignment, but it's something that I just spoke about that I do. And um, I want to go over it because it's a homework that I'd recommend everybody uh, take on. And people will get, everyone listening will get right. something out of this. Uh, okay. So it says, remember a recent time. This is a homework. Remember a recent time when you were triggered. Mentally relive that experience as you work through the following steps. Now, I'm going to read these, and then I'm going to talk about it, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and I spoke about one that I did last night that helped me, and that is when you know and you recognize that you've been triggered for whatever reason, you need to consciously slow yourself down. That's Take a few breaths. Uh, leave the room and postpone your reaction until you can come to a better response. And it, it, it kind of it allows you the time to get unstuck and unfrozen from that triggered experience. That really, yeah, charged mm -hmm. up place. Mentally and physically. Um, and then it gives you time to begin to consider what to say or do that would be appropriate. And then you begin to think about what would be the positive options for the person you're taking care of. Um, and... Uh, it says you can also start to process the energy charge from the new experience. Shake off the tension. That's what, <laughs> mm -hmm. instead of adding it to your stored stress, absolutely essential as far as mm -hmm. I'm concerned. Yeah, the workout, the run, the cry, the, all those things. Take the time. You want to shake off that tension. And once you begin to tune into your body, you'll realize how much tension physically these experiences we're talking about hold and how your body holds them. And how much it interferes with you being where you want to be in the present. That's right. And you're not going to like it after a while because your body's going to hurt. Yeah. And we and the old, I uh, used to call that in the old say, armoring. Your body tightens up. It's muscular armoring. And uh, you can actually cause um, physical damage to yourself. And I'm, I'll attest to it. And I'm sitting across the way from somebody who just did it <laughs> yeah. recently yeah. herself. Yeah. But yes, it can happen. So it's very important to be aware of this. And even when you are, uh-oh, I'm getting it. 
Uh oh. I'm getting a cramp in my leg. Okay. Anyway, here it is, like it's right raising its head now. Yeah. This as is we speak. A real life experience. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, but it's very important. And when you are able to process the energy charge, you can go from a negative place of tension and pent up energy to something more positive again. And it's really important. Um, to shake it off and not add it to your stored tension and stress. The next thing is try to return to the present, the here and now. And it mean, and this is, I like this one. Give your conscious, rational mind time to become more of a participant and more engaged in the situation rather than just have your unconscious and semi-conscious mind take over and run the show. And how often do we really love that? I mean, we think we love it. It's just like, let me loose. I just want to vent. Yeah, really. And that's trouble. Not, that's not good. Not uh, not that you don't want to hurt other people. Yeah. And it can happen, but that's not what you want to do. And let me tell you, when that unconscious stuff and that semi-conscious stuff that's pent up comes out, it does. It can hurt. And or it could do it, Jenny. You can turn it against yourself. Or you can maybe implode. Yeah. And you could hurt yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. neither one of those things is good. And anybody who's been triggered. You're talking about your own unconscious and semi-conscious stuff coming out. Mm-hmm. And guess what begins to run the show? Mm. All of that. And you're not in the present anymore. You're not in the here and now. No. And you're in a destructive course. So we're talking about ways to circumvent that, intervene, and not let that happen. Um, this is one I... This is yeah, the next one you need, we need to reword a bit. You're right. This is, we have one. This, this was written, what, 12 years ago? This is much more for professionals, I think, this wording. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, we but we to... are talk, it talks about engaging your objective adult inside yourself. Um, you know, we have a, 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 yeah, I remember this stuff, reactive child, a critical parent, objective result. You know what we call them today? Your committee. Mm-hmm. And everybody, this isn't clinical, everybody has their committee. And we've got to have some way to counter it. Otherwise, these voices begin. And I don't mean you got to be crazy. I'm talking about all of us. No. Take over and start giving us a hard time. You should and making be doing this. Why aren't you doing that? Mm-hmm. Everyone else can do this. Why that's aren't right. you? That's right. There you go. You know. That's that's some of Jenny's. You're no good. You're a failure. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is says. This is cute. This says. Now is not the time to be the reactive child or the critical parent. Give your reactive child side a time out without condemnation. <laughs> this is funny. Yeah. Silence that reactive child. Yeah. Silence the critical, <laughs> critical parent. parent. Yes. And let your objective adult take charge. And I, I'll go with that. Yep. Yep. I like that. And this is cute. Too. If you want, you can assure your reactive child within yourself that you'll help them later. And you'll help them feel better later. Yeah. That's cute. Yeah. I don't remember. You know something? I can't believe I was part of that kind of thinking. But that's not so bad. It is. It I'll is. go with that. There's, there's, there's something there. I'll go back. Yep. I'll go with that. Yep. Um, next, let's see, one of the others. Okay. Now that you're in a position to make better choices, productive and healthy ones, rather than destructive, unhealthy ones, what can you learn from this moment of triggering? What do you need to do to take care of Right now. This is a big, important question. It is. Very important. Do Don't you worry. have someone in front of you? Yeah. Um, a family member, someone you love or care about, someone you're taking care of. Are you out in the public? And uh, Are you in the middle of something you can't stop? you got to make the best choice that's appropriate 
within that in the present. Steve just flashed. See what happens when he flashes that sign. My chain of thought goes. I'm staying on track here. Okay. All right. Okay. So you want to make the best, most appropriate choices in the present. One that fits your priorities and responsibilities. Your big picture. The long-term personal values and goals. And you want to act on that now. Yes. Okay. That's really important. Yes. Uh, Another is be responsible and self-accountable. If you react after being triggered... The old pain fueling your reaction may not be there because of anything you did wrong. I like that. Yeah. Your old trauma may not have been your fault, but you're still responsible for your reactions in the present and their consequences. That is something that I've emphasized so much in the work in helping people recover from trauma. It doesn't mean we sit there and we've watched people blame themselves, been very critical of themselves, and we knew it wasn't their fault. But... Some of the reactions out of that that they've done in the present have been very destructive. The consequences. Yes. Yeah. And even if you've had, it wasn't your fault, even if you've had trauma that was terrible during the time, that does not give you a free hand in just going wild in the present and not being responsible for your actions. Absolutely not. No. You are responsible no matter what your history is. So I'm a big proponent of that one and helping people recover from triggering from trauma mm-hmm. um let's see um, so you're saying the next line is don't berate or excuse yourself that's right it's yep. not okay to dump or vent on someone else nope. but also don't tear yourself down inside right. nothing is accomplished either way do all you can to heal any conflict or damage you've caused apologize and make it up to anyone you've hurt maybe even including yourself Learn from any bad choices you've made and acknowledge that understanding yourself better is always valuable. I love it. I'm glad Jenny did that. It's nice to hear her read it and say it. That's it. I mean, I've, I've got to be one of those people that I've had my moments and I've apologized. And interestingly, most of the time, it always works out so much better than I could have ever expected. I can't say I was always uh, capable of apologizing, in my, uh, but now I realize how destructive I could be. I don't want to be. And I realize it's part of my grief, and people grieve in different ways. But I've apologized. And interestingly, how compassionate and understanding people are. And I've said this before, I know, but it also gives the other person permission to let down their guard and be real with you. Absolutely. I've made some very good friends from those situations. Yes. Really loving and deeply compassionate people. Um, we got one more point on our, in our, our and worksheet it's an important here. That, one. And, and it's, it's re- an important one. Let's not leave it out. Remember that if you get triggered by something, you have an underlying need for self-care. Don't forget that. It's like a little flag waving saying, pay attention. It says something's hanging around unresolved and bothering you. It's adding to your stress load. Take this opportunity to stop and take care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I love that. I think that's really what this is all about. When you're getting triggered, it's going to expose these things, and it's an opportunity for you to deal with them. It's like bringing up an old infection that's been growing inside Mm -hmm. and clearing out the air and letting it heal. Yep, something you'd be better off without having operating inside you all the time. Absolutely, and this is your chance. So believe me, you aren't getting triggered unless you've, you've had your own pain and your own struggles and suffering. Believe me. So these are very important things. This is a cute one. 
What if you get stuck after you've gotten triggered and can't figure out what to do no matter how hard you try? Try this one. Try doing the opposite of what you just love to do. You know, if you just love to go... But fill in the blank. Really. <laughs> do the opposite. Maybe your first choice is a reaction from an old habit, which can't be so good. But if you do something differently this time, things might work out better. So your homework is to experiment with something new and see what happens. The other one is if the person you're with has triggered you, try seeing the situation from their perspective instead of your own. This could help shift you into a more objective, compassionate frame of mind and help you avoid saying or doing something you regret later. There's your homework mm -hmm. for everybody, and it's our homework to, for ourselves. We'll do that this week. Hopefully we will and we'll need to. follow through on the things we need to. You know, this has been a very therapeutic um, uh, episode. Physician, heal thyself. I feel so much better now Don't than you? when I came in. I do yeah. too. Yeah, I feel better. I hope somebody out there feels better too, but it worked for me. And I know that I'm sharing some very valuable information, objectively, but also personally, and so is Jenny. Um, we love this work. We'd love to share it. And now it's so much more human and uh, heartfelt than it ever been, has been before. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma, 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson. If you'd like to know more about our show or Dr. Bernstein, please visit our website at thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. We are sponsored by Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment. Please like us on Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm.